Welcome back as the IFC presents another episode of the Archetypes of Destiny. My name is James Malamos. We've got a great episode for you. Today we continue our, with our new series, The Four Archetypes. We will discuss the resolution of the glitch, part four. It's a great discussion. We can't wait for you to hear it. If you enjoy the IFC's The Four Archetypes and want to support, make sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes and wherever you get your podcast. So without any further ado, Dr. All Samurai, take it away. Welcome back to another episode of The Four Archetypes. I am Dr. Lob El Samurai, and with me today, the classic Wrecking Crew. Dr. Lisa Hong is with us. Dr. Eric Tomlinson is with us. And today, we are going to continue with Jemp and the resolution of the glitch. And we were going to cover, I think, one of the more... Um, important topics in the book it's about how it takes up what happens the evolution of the trauma how it transforms and what it changes and what it doesn't so we'll get into that anyway but before that i'm just gonna check in with everybody dr eric how you doing today greetings my friend Dr. Lisa, how are you doing today? Hi, y'all. I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Dr. Lahab? I am doing fantastic. Right. <laughs> and not only that, I'd be jamming on the double flip side today. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Let's get into this. So, um, where did we live off last week? We left off around chapter 10. Yeah, we were getting ready to talk about the monster. The monster. Okay. Let's let's talk about the monster. Um, let's think about the monster. Let's define the monster. You know, we did podcast earlier. Um, if anybody's interested in, if you haven't heard them or seen them on YouTube, we've done a podcast on the complexes and Stranger Things. Um, in that you see the monsters in Stranger Things, how the monsters appear and how they grow and expand. So with that in mind, we're going to talk about the expansion of the trauma because that that is really the issue. The issue is when the first trauma hits, it doesn't take up that much territory. As the trauma unfolds over time, it starts to eat up more and more territory, which means that your boundaries are contracting. They're coming closer to you. The outside is no longer viable for you. There are large parts of the outside that no longer you could tread in. And this is how the monster moves. So we're going to talk about how it expands. So one way what happens is that in the trauma, as the dissociative aspects of these feeling states that were disconnected and disassociated deep within psyche, 
those pieces start weaving a different story. So the more they're triggered, the more they vibrate, the more they vibrate together, the scarier the story becomes. Mm. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter if you've had one trauma or several traumas. The way it expands itself is the same. At first, when the trauma occurs, the complex is activated into action. The, compl uh, the complex engulfs the trauma. And now the trauma is centered in a certain part of the psyche. Biologically, we understand this part to be um, the primal brain or the lizard brain, the oldest part of the brain. So from a Jungian perspective, what happens to these pieces? Okay. So each piece is vibrating. So if you have fear on the one hand, you have anxiety on the other, because fear is going to provoke an anxious feeling. Now, you might not know where the anxiety is coming from. You're not thinking it's fear. But that's what it is. That's what's setting it off. So the more anxious you are, the more triggered you are, the more the fear state within you is triggered. Now, is it just fear that triggers anxiety? No. Shame can trigger anxiety. So you have these um, feeling states that are disconnected and disassociated after the trauma occurs. What are your thoughts? So when you're describing the whole um, presence of the trauma embedding itself in your psyche mm -hmm. or in a cinematic uh, version of that in, in my mind I'm thinking of you know the quintessential cloud in the dark in the sky that and the storm is coming in and is getting closer and closer and it starts to cover the whole blue sky and eventually it covers the the light and and your room and your world is dark in in darkness or on a grayscale colors taken out of your life and your daily uh, day to day um, those kind of dramatic sense and going back to stranger things which we watched and talked about watched mm -hmm. on netflix and talked about as you said that there was there was some parallels of that happening in stranger things of how it started to become a focal point um, of the overall existence and take more room and space mm. yeah and, yeah, and it is the major focal point because it draws <clears throat> so much energy. Mm -hmm. And in real time, what that means is your attention, 
where your attention is going, why it's going in a certain position, why it's going into a certain lens, why you're becoming paranoid, why you're feeling angry, why you're feeling touchy, why, why, why. All these things are happening. That's drawing energy. Mm -hmm. And the more energy it draws, the more it's activated. So the engine starts up. And before you know it, that engine lights up a skyscraper. That engine has you going in so many different directions. And you're trying to shut it down, but you don't know how. Sometimes you're aware of it in your purview, and it makes you uncomfortable or makes you kind of have a double take over your shoulder and existence and feeling a sense. Mm, a that's the beginning. Comfort in the beginning. That's and, that's and the I, beginning of the trigger. Yeah, I, I think of movies like Donnie Darko. Yeah. You guys, have you guys see that one? Love yeah. that movie. Yeah. So Donnie Darko, that that creature, that thing in mm. his existence, is it real? Am I seeing that? It does that, but it, its presence becomes more and more. Well, uh, that's the complex, point. right? Yeah. yeah the focal point of his day to day, but in the beginning. Yeah. It was, it wasn't not a big deal. It was a thing. It was there. You see it made you a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. It's not there a, anymore. We should do a show on that. Yeah, we should. Yeah. That's a really interesting one. We should do that. We should do Donnie Darko. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. And then Stranger Things, um, there was the above world. Mm -hmm. And there was the upside down. And in the, the upside down world resembled the um, physical world almost exactly, except it's more menacing and foreboding and um, has creatures that form from the black clouds and attack you. But within the complex, when you're trapped within the complex, you're disoriented. The first thing you realize is that you're disoriented. And then the description is like, you know, somebody grabbed you from the back of your neck. Mm -hmm. Because when your complex is activated, that's where you feel it, mm -hmm. right? This is the primal brain. You start to feel the hair on the back of your neck. You start to go, okay, what is that? Okay, well, you just forgot that somebody grabbed you from the back of your neck. But that's where your attention is gone. Mm -hmm. right? So you're activated now. And in the activation, right, you start slipping. What were you doing? You know, you were going about your day. Everything was working, kind of. You were kind of getting stuff done. But what happens when you're activated? It starts to draw your attention. Suddenly, you start to fall into this upside-down world. You know, you start to fall into the unconscious. And when you start to fall into the unconscious, you start to lose perspective of what you're seeing. Oh, I hate this job. Yeah. I hate this person I live with. I can't stand where my life is going. So you start to lose perspective very quickly, right? And a different perspective starts feeling very negative perspective. 
very detrimental, destructive. Takes over. So that's the that's the first thing you start to realize is you're slipping. You're being completely overwhelmed by forces that are way too strong for you. You don't like it's like five people jumped you and they're holding you from different positions. It's like, well, well what's going on? How did I fall into this? <clears throat> Any thoughts, Dr. Eric? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's real easy, in my opinion, for most people to not really relate to the term disassociation or dissociation. It's hard for them to understand, uh, and I'm speaking of myself in the past, so I'm including myself here, of having a hard time realizing that there is something that can have control over me and I don't know, and I'm not aware of it. For example, many people are very aware of the idea of suppression. I suppress something that bothers me. I got traumatized. I suppress a lot of that. But when you suppress something, you're still very aware of it. And when it comes out, you see it. You're aware of it. You can kind of identify it. And when somebody points it out to you, you may respond defensively, but you still later on are aware of it. And then that can go further into a state of repression. Now I'm starting to repress it. And repression has a lot of different levels. I can take something and put it in my closet, put it behind a bunch of boxes, put a bunch of other clothes on top of it, close the door, and I've repressed it. I don't think about it ever unless it happens to come up. But then there's the kind of repression to where even if the door's open and all the boxes are taken out, I still don't recognize it. Sometimes people, in the last 30 years, people have called this uh, repressed memories, which is just another variation of 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 what we call disassociation. You, it's you're where, talking about the defense mechanisms, right, Doctor? Yeah, yes, yes. And, talking and about it, repression, absolutely. Denial, disassociation. Yes. Okay. And, 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 and the, the worst so... versions, and the worst versions of it, the worst version of it leads to dissociation, to where you cannot mm -hmm. recall it unless you have some kind of external vehicle of help to help you gradually and slowly uncover that. Okay, that is correct, and I, I I completely agree with you. I think in the disassociative aspect, though, um, what we start to realize first is that we're actively doing this. So we start doing it in a lot of other ways in our life that we basically see something and say, uh, you know what? I don't think I saw that. I'm going to move forward. So, yes, we're actively disconnected from it. At the yes. same time, because we're actively using it, it's become a defense mechanism for us. So there's the disassociation from the trauma, and there's disassociation in our everyday as a defense. Now, they're both defense mechanisms yes the disassociation from the trauma is involuntary absolutely 
the defense mechanism that we call disassociation can be voluntary. And it in its ultra form, it can it, it or, or it, in its regular form, it can be very voluntary. It, it's it's a defense mechanism. Absolutely. It's denial, repression, or disassociation. It can be um, conscious. The um, so there are several of them, but what we're talking about, I think, is to kind of bring them together. They start showing their heads when the monster starts spreading its wings. The bigger the wings, the more they start to show up. Dr. Lisa, you have an yeah, idea? Yeah, I'd like to go uh, back and then bring it forward again. So yeah. the you make an interesting point, the disassociation um, being more of an involuntary disassociation, which are an and a disassociation can be an active a con voluntary action. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the passive type, they're both they're both used as a defense. Correct. Um, the involuntary, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll say passive one, just enough, you don't consciously realize you're doing it, it's happening, and you are becoming disassociated, or would, would be um, something that happens in the early stages when the monster shows itself. Yeah. And, it so... start, and when it presents its presence, existence in a persisting manner that continues to push your boundaries in a way to make you uncomfortable. And the more that you actively disassociate to defend, then it seeds more deeper into the psyche. Well, so, so there, there are small deaths that occur along the way. Before we are traumatized by something bigger, certain traumas occur. And in those traumas, we realize that we only remember pieces of them because of the disassociation. So as we move along to the bigger trauma, uh, we realize that we disassociate a lot. Now, whether voluntary or involuntary, you're disassociating. So there's a, what happens is, is there's a field of disconnected, um, unidentified material that exists within your psyche. What that means is it's like a minefield. So that minefield can be activated by anybody running across, touching one of the mines. So you're actively, as you're walking around in your field, your field is mind. And so those minds can be triggered by anybody walking across them. The more you have disassociated, the bigger the field around you that can be triggered. And I'm in agreement with both of what you just said. And I was actually trying to say what you were both saying. I was my main point was to show that it was nobody's arguing well, with you, Dr. Eric. Pardon? Nobody disagreed with you, Dr. Eric. Yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah. saying that most, in my opinion, most trauma effects are. A process and and that and in that process you have different levels of effects on this on the 
on the span from one side to the other of consciousness to unconsciousness. That that was what I was trying to get at. Yeah. 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 We agree, we agree with you. This the yeah. the 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 process is is that the there is there is two processes going on. One process is your conscious ego process of moving forward, doing your job, doing your everyday, connecting whatever your work is and moving forward in your life. The other part of the process is um, disturbance, shame, anger, fear, worry, disgust, dismell. So all these things are going on within you at the same time. So two processes are running and one is attacking the other. And this is what makes it so complicated because the essential part of the complex, when it contains the monster, it contains the monster at a certain age. So if you were 10, the monster it was protecting you from was it was protecting a 10-year-old. That monster is contained within this understanding of the 10-year-old. So when the monster is unleashed, your defense mechanisms, your coping mechanisms, your denial, your repression, your suppression, right, are part of the 10-year-old, not of the adult you. So those were tenuous at best because you were 10. You just learned how to use them a little bit. You're not really strong at what, how they work. So you're completely overwhelmed because your 10-year-old self shows up as part that the monster is scaring. Yeah. But in fact, though, in my opinion, adults still experience that. And especially adults who experienced it when they were 10. They bring it along with them. Well, yep. that's yeah. that's exactly his point, right? Where yeah. our our that's exactly what Dr. Lahab was saying is that our the initial, you know, trauma age or certain yes. age, when whenever that our developmental age was and our coping mechanism of that age was typically becomes our methodology even as an adult. Yes. For that same yeah, that's exactly. yeah. Yeah. Because and I, and I, in the upside down world, you are no longer you. In the upside down world, the rules have shifted. The rules have shifted because your psychological awareness has shifted. Your psychological awareness has shifted because now developmentally, you are in a different state. A different part of you has kicked in. And that part is traumatized. So its reactive, defensive nature is from the trauma. 
So it's faulty at best. Yeah. And another point I was I wanted to make for our listeners is because I went through this myself, is that just because I was able or you may be able to identify the milder forms of what you've done with your trauma, i.e. suppression, the more moderate forms of what you've been able to recognize consciously and even and even deal with as it relates to repressed things regarding your trauma it doesn't mean that's great it's great that we've been able to do that but it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't negate the fact that there's this other stuff that's on an unconscious level that we have not been able to um to maneuver our way through or understand which is why we need help which is why we need specialized help from people who understand these processes. So part of it is that what happens in the glitch is that it always takes you back to a certain point in time. Because that certain point in time is where you live. So there's a part of you that lives there and there's other parts of you that live elsewhere. So think about it this way. It's like you just forgot where you lived as a grown-up. You went back to your childhood home. Psychologically, you were back in your childhood home when the trauma occurs. Now, if it happens when you're an adult... It will take you point to that piece of you that is the adult. So now your reaction, your rationalization of the trauma has a more intellectual feel to it. Intellectualization is one of the defense mechanisms. So you start to like parcel it out. Well, it happened because I was driving down the wrong street. And because I was driving down the wrong street and it was dark, somebody came from behind me and hit me. Now, still, the logic of what happened still doesn't make a lot of sense, even though it's an adult logic, right? So even as adults, our perception of the trauma is shaped by the trauma itself. So even when we relate to it, yes, you know, I know exactly what happened. I know what upset me. I know this happened to me. Yet still, what happens is it holds. And what it holds is if you were traumatized at in childhood, it will vibrate you back to childhood. Why? Because when the trauma occurs, there's a certain vibrational feeling state to it. And you'll say things like, I'm feeling weird when it starts coming. I feel irritated. I feel anxious. I feel strange. I feel paranoid. So 
you start to sense that it's coming through the door. But once it's through the door, it's too late. Now the monster is lurking somewhere within you. So you're trying to reassert yourself. You're trying to reestablish your feeling state. And it's very, very complicated. It's very difficult and almost impossible. So what do we do? Think of it as a panic attack. A panic attack is also when the complex completely overwhelms and the body starts to react out of fear. And that's why it feels like you're having a heart attack. But the complex is the trigger. The complex has been triggered. Its nuclear core is activated. So you could be traumatized at any time, but the original traumas always pull you back. The vibration of the original trauma. So what does that mean? That means if I was attacked at the age of five and I was attacked at the age of 25, most likely my reaction will be the feeling state of being attacked at five. Not that I have forgotten that I was attacked at age 25, but that attack seems different from the original attack. That attack will always be associated or thought of as part of the original attack. It is not separate in itself because in the complex they're connected. So let's say you've been attacked four times. What does that mean? In the complex, all four of the traumas are connected. So they're all connected by the same vibrational feeling state. So what is the vibrational feeling state? It's like you were listening to a tune in a cafe before the car. The guy in the car missed the turn and drove into the cafe. Now, you weren't hit, but scared the crap out of you. That's connected to when you were playing outside at age seven and a car almost hit you. And you heard it screech and you heard the man scream at you and the horn. And so now you're traumatized by that. So all these are interconnected, right? They have the same vibrational feel. So in my mind, they're associated. And because they're associated, they're going to trigger. So what I need to do is get to the original disassociated material. Because if I can't get to it, I'm going to continue to be triggered. Dr. Eric, you're looking very contemplative. What What are you contemplating? I'm just listening and thinking about, about what you're saying. Um, disassociation is a complex thing. And, um, and it's got many layers and many levels. And um, 
and it's hard for those of us who have studied it to fully understand. So I can only imagine how difficult the concept is for people who have not studied it, either in textbooks or in real life situations with people. It's, it's hard to relate to for most people. Well, it's the number one defense that the brain employs in the aspect of keeping you from falling apart. Yeah. So it's the number one way the brain says, oh, that's too much. It's our greatest survival mechanism. It's our, exactly. it's our it primary defined. It is, defi- the, the it is, it is one mechanism. of the primary, yes. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It's one of the primary survival mechanisms that have evolved over millennia with yeah. us. So, of course, it's a very sophisticated system. It's not just like, oh, I yeah. disassociated. Right. No, there is sophistication in the system. And we are, there is a part that's voluntary in disassociation. I can dissociate, yet I can't really disassociate if I haven't really been traumatized. Why? Because much easier when I know what disassociation is, it's much easier to walk around with that kind of feeling state. Because part of that feeling state is walking in the world outside of your skin. You're always buzzed. You're always anxious. You're always irritated. And that's what the monster does. It's holding you hostage. It's controlling us. Yes. Our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. I mean, it's just controlling our actions. It's it's controlling. It, it's keeping us locked in. Yeah. We're, we really are in a holding pattern that's that's being produced by the monster. Absolutely. And this is what leads to young adolescents cutting themselves. Yeah. Because wait, what do you, why are you cutting your skin? Think about it. What? What do they say when they're cutting? They're saying, I'm releasing. I'm letting the pain out. And they want to feel. Yes, by letting the pain out. It's actually vice versa. It's experiencing the pain, but symbolically, it's letting the pain out. They're releasing it. They're using the pain as a release. I Never Promised You a Rose Garden is a fabulous film to watch for anyone who wants to understand that. It's really depressing, yes. Well, yeah, yeah it's dark. It's it's depressing. So I caution you. But if you're able to handle those kind of films, that's a film that is very impactive. Well, you know, um, uh one of the things that we we need to think about is that the different forms of mental illnesses that occur because of long-term trauma. So if you suffer from trauma over long periods of time, you develop mental health issues. Right? It's a good point. So let's say it's a singular trauma that happened when you were 10. Your parents had a car accident and one of them passed away, died. That's your trauma. Now it's a singular trauma. 
right? But if that trauma goes untreated, that singular trauma will start to eat away and destroy your health. You will never feel like you're walking in your own skin. And that's the description that we get when um, when people talk about how they're feeling when we're thinking about treatment, right? Dr. Eric? Um, when we're talking about treatment, what we're trying to do is reintegrate the two parts of you where you are not walking outside your skin. You're walking within your skin, meaning that your body is a part of you, that you exist within your body. And this is what we go back into in the book and talk about being connected to the archetypal pattern. You have to be within the body to be tied to that energetic pattern. Well, that's a great point, Dr. Lahab. It, it, I, I like the term that you just used is, is disconnected because we become disconnected from everything on a certain level. We become disconnected from our body. We become disconnected from emotions. We become disconnected from even, even certain thought patterns. Yes. Uh, we, 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 uh, we are horribly alone at that part at that point in time yes and, and and where it creates listlessness depression anxiety hopelessness and right. and we need to be reconnected to who the heck we really are exactly well you know you you cannot experience the world as a psychic entity because you have as an organism you have a body <laughs> So you cannot be disconnected for long periods of time from your body. And trauma does this to you. You're no longer connected. You're always feeling disconnected. So the body always hurts, right? The body doesn't lie. It tells you the truth. It hurts. It hurts because you're not in your body. You know, you're holding your stance. You're holding your posture. You're holding your figure. You're holding it. You're holding your pain within the body. And so the body aches. Is that why it's called a holding pattern? Yes. Because in the end, what happens is you hold it in the body. Yeah. So when you're disconnected from your body, where are you holding the pain? You're holding that disconnection within the body. And therefore, what it shows up as is as pain it's in the back it's in the neck it's in the stomach it's in the chest you know this is what we do with young and advanced motor processing is we resolve these glitches to help you get back into your body because when you're in your body you are feeling better you feel safer, you feel more connected, you are calmer because you're not as anxious. Only when you're sitting outside your body is your anxiety level, that's why you're ringing all the time. 
because your anxiety level is so high, you're kind of like shaking. I don't know if you've seen people who uh, are older, 50, 60, and they're shaking. As they talk, they shake. That's anxiety. If you hear in their voice, they've been anxious for so long, it's taking on its own characteristic. It's taking on its own persona. It's its own presence, if I may. So trauma can be healed at any age, by the way. For those out there, there is no time limit on trauma. It's like everything else. You have a wound, you dress it, you fix it, you sanitize it. And then what happens is it heals. So what we are doing is it needs to be healed. So when we talk about trauma and we talk about how to heal trauma, we it's not just for the 40-year-olds or 20-year-olds or 30-year-olds or 5-year-olds. It's for everybody, right? You should not live even at 80 with trauma. You should not live with it. Let me ask because, you a question, Dr. Lahab. Yeah. When we start disconnecting and form all of these compartmentalized, uh, I don't know what you want to call them, compartmentalized boxes of parts of ourself that are just surrounding us in this sphere surrounding us, and we're disconnected from them, and they're everywhere because there's so many at this point in time. Mm, a psychic prison. Yes, it is. And it's surrounding mm. us. Yeah. And some of those compartmentalized boxes I can reach out to and interact with to some degree. Yeah. I, I can't I can't completely merge back with it, but I can at least feel its presence i can interact with it to some degree now there are others that i try to do that with and i feel nothing what what's the difference there between the ones that i can gain some interaction with and some feeling state with and then there are others that look just as available that look just as present Ooh. just just as much within my reach but when I reach for it, nothing. I, I can't. I can't get anything from it. I can't merge with it at all. So the so the earlier the earlier the trauma, the more disassociation that is has occurred, the more likely there are pieces that are not recoverable. They're pieces of loss. They're pieces that. Basically, uh, let's say you were 10 years old and you're 90 now or 80 or 70 or 60 or even 40. At 10, you remember things. So there are pieces of that trauma that are connected. It doesn't mean they don't have energy behind them. But only when they're energetically charged are you aware of, and it feels more like foreboding, more like 
a faraway, disconnected feeling. That's really fear. well stated. Yeah, thank you. That was very it's helpful. Not quite as close, but it's still what it does is it vibrates and wakes up all the other disassociated feeling states. Yes, it does. So it has to be addressed like the others. But once you address the others, then suddenly it empties out a lot of these cells around you. And now you could see the long-term prisoners in the psychic prison. So the parts of you that have been locked away for decades, those parts of you, you need to access also. They need to be released. And interestingly enough, no matter what feeling state that long-time connection has, over time, it's still a point of personal celebration. It allows some sense of freedom to occur that you didn't have prior to that interaction. Because the energy is reclaimed, right? The energy that it was holding hostage from you, it was holding that piece. The monster is holding that piece of energy from you. Suddenly it releases it. You feel it and you're like, yeah, I feel good. Yeah. This is some deep shit. Yeah, it completes you, right? So you think about it. The monster is holding all these different pieces of energy, like uh, my will to kind of like, oh, you know, I used to like going out. I never go out anymore. Why don't I do that? Suddenly you start going out. So now your libido is activated because you're healing. And therefore, the psychic energy is coming back because now you have more psychic energy. The more traumatized and dissociated you are, the less psychic energy you have. Because basically, you have thieves in the house who are stealing all the energy. They're basically hoarding it for themselves. It's like, yeah, yeah I feel like crap today. And it's like, okay, why do you have that energy? Why do you have the energy that says, to me that I have to be like crap. Fuck you. <laughs> I want well, that back. A, it's a victory over the monster. Yeah, I want that back. I want that peace. I want that energy back. I want to feel like I can I can be myself, that I yeah. can yeah, I could hang yeah. out with people. I could have a conversation. Yeah. I can not be irritated all the time. And I should have said deep dung or deep fecal matter instead of deep shit. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's all deep. <laughs> it's all waste. I was thinking. I was thinking the other day, just to share with you guys, kind of a, um, where did that come from? I was thinking about garbage. I was thinking, you know, there are people who live in garbage. There are people who make garbage. There are people who live off garbage. There are people who get rich off garbage. There are all these ways that garbage interacts with people. Right. And there is too much garbage. And I was just thinking about how we interact in our environment and how we see the environment. And how the environment now reflects our own philosophy. So if we grew up in environments that were more helpful. Reassuring, safe loving, caring, we grew up to feel more integrated. 
And when we grow up in environments that are complicated, difficult, um, make you anxious, you grow up feeling anxious. You grow up feeling squeezed. Right? So the environment itself also causes a lot of psychological and emotional pain that needs to be dealt with, sometimes even health-related pain. We know that certain peoples live in environments that are polluted, and that causes a lot of their depression and anxiety. Right? So that's something else, because the body is also needs to be taken care of. The welfare of the body is also very, very important. So these are two, like, you cannot shed, you know, this mask in this life. This is your mask. So you have to wear it. You have to take care of it. You have to make it durable. Right. And the number one thing you can do is to heal the trauma because healing the trauma will help you wear your skin in a comfortable way. It doesn't have to feel like I hate my skin. I just don't want to pop out of my skin. You should be able to wear your skin. You should have a good relationship with your body because you live within it, within that context. And I know when we talk about psychological processes, we forget to talk about the body. The monster affects the body as much as it affects the psyche. It terrorizes the body in the same way. Like your hands will shake. I remember, I remember getting hit by a car while I was on a motorcycle. What I do remember is that my leg, every time I got on a motorcycle, was shake by itself. So my left leg was shake. Even when I was psychologically, I could get through it. My leg was like, you can't get through this. Get me off of this thing. Why would you put me back on this thing? You know. So, and that was directly, that was a piece of, that was my body. That was my left leg talking to me, saying, I don't like the risks that you like to take with me. Because there's a sense of different ways that the, so we have to be respectful of our body. We have to take care of our bodies. We have to, you know, live within our bodies. This is the huge issue. It's a good point because trauma causes, is able to cause physical disorders just like it does mental disorders. Absolutely. We know uh, the um, anti-immune diseases that are rising in number are directly related to traumatic lifestyles early on. And traumatic lifestyles meaning is that you were exposed to a lot of trauma. It's not that you chose the lifestyle. That's the lifestyle that was there for you as a kid and you grew up in it. So with that, next week we will be back 
to talk about, okay, so we talked about the monster today and we talked a lot about the monster and how the monster takes over. So how do we start to kind of put these pieces back together? How do we reclaim ourselves? How do we reclaim our bodies? How do we reclaim our mental health? And that's where young and advanced motor processing comes in. That's the genius of the treatment. The genius is in the way you, it helps you as an individual reclaim who and what you are. And in the South, we say, pull out a can of monster whoop ass. Okay. <laughs> Don't know the saying. Thank you. Um, <laughs> with that, as always, we leave you with, I am not afraid. I am not afraid. I am not afraid. And we are not afraid. We are the four archetypes and we will see you next week. Thank you for tuning into part four of the resolution of the glitch. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Al Samurai, Dr. Eric Tomlinson, and Dr. Lisa Hong. You can also find us on the IFC's YouTube. Make sure to check out the JAM Institute for Training's Magicians Call podcast as well. The IFC is a non-for-profit institution. We do not have any paid advertising for our podcast, but we do accept donations. All donations and contributions are tax deductible. You can find more info at theinstitutefoconflict.com. Thank you.